Good morning, church. Today I am reading from the book of James, chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. This can be found in your pew Bible on page 1013. Do not speak evil against one another. Brothers, the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? This is the word of God. We've been in the book of James, off and on, we're back on. Real wisdom, real faith is what we're calling this. Are you wise? Do you have faith? Well, let's see. Let's see. Back in chapter 2, verse 1, James 2, verse 1, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Show no partiality. Then he jumps down. He gives an example. People come into church and you show partiality to the rich and to the poor that walk into church. And then in verse 4, chapter 2, verse 4, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Are you wise? Sometimes I think we, we think that uh, to be wise is to become the judge. We want wise judges in, in our courts, don't we? Wisdom, a, a judge who's not, it doesn't have wisdom, you know, who wants, to, who wants to vote for him or her? Who wants that judge to be the one that's uh, deciding your fate on that great and terrible day in the courtroom? But James is introducing us to a different kind of wisdom, wisdom from above, chapter 3. Chapter 3, wisdom from above, verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above, the wisdom from above is pure and peaceable and gentle and open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Hmm. Are you wise? Are you wise? And then chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. Here's where our focus will be this morning. Don't speak evil. The one who speaks evil becomes a judge. In his 2007 book called Unchristian, David Kinnaman and the Barna Group surveyed thousands and thousands of non-Christians, and they found that 87% of non-Christians believe that Christians are judgmental. 
And that was 15 years ago. I doubt our numbers are any better. <laughs> Maybe worse. Have you ever felt judged by a Christian? You can put your hand up. It's okay. We're, you're in a safe place. No, no judgment. No judgment. <laughs> Have you ever been, felt judged by another Christian or a church? Christian, have you ever judged somebody else? Maybe in your heart, maybe out loud, maybe behind their back. What happens is we, we create a set of rules in our brain, and now everybody else has to live up to those set of rules, and if they don't live up to those set of rules, we judge them. So, so you chew too loud. You didn't put the towel where it goes. You didn't hang it up. The socks aren't in the hamper. You're too lazy. You're too controlling. You're too judgy. You're boring. This is boring. I can't believe you let your kids draw in church. They should be taking notes on the sermon. Your skirt is too short. Your hair is too long. Your beard is too shaggy. You drink too much. You smoke too much. You cuss too much. You're too holy. You're not holy enough. You're too quiet. You're too loud. We judge everyone, don't we? Spouses judge each other. Friends judge each other. Church members judge their pastors. Pastors judge their church members. Parents judge the teachers. Teachers judge the parents. Kids judge their parents. Parents judge their kids. Church guests judge the church. Co-workers judge each other. They judge their boss. Bosses judge their workers. And don't even get me started on social media. Just one big pit of judgment, isn't it? What does James mean when he says, don't be a judge, don't judge each other? He does not mean that we shouldn't ever be discerning. He doesn't mean, obviously, that we shouldn't be wise. He doesn't mean that we should turn a blind eye to everything. He doesn't mean that we, there isn't a place for confronting sin in fact, the last section of James, in James chapter 5, 13 through the end, it will be all about how to deal with sin in the church. So we're going to get there, okay? James will talk about that. But what, is James, what does James mean when he says, don't judge each other? Well, he says, don't speak evil against one another. That's how it starts, verse 11. Two times he will repeat this phrase, do not speak against, the one who speaks against. This is a word that is, is very broad. It covers the whole scope, everything from slander, gossip, quarreling, uh, criticism, fault-finding, defaming, denigrating, lying, careless words, assaulting words. 
is what James is talking about. Talking about what's wrong with everybody else. Casting others in a bad light. The tricky part is that often this kind of language can sound godly, like you're standing up for truth and you're standing up against sin, but it is actually part of that fire that comes out of our mouths that he talked about earlier, which is set on fire from hell. He uses the word judge four times in these two little verses. Four times as a verb and one time as a noun. So five times he uses the word judge. Do not speak evil against one another. The one who speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Clearly, this is an important concept. When he repeats the word five times in two little verses, to, con- to judge is to condemn. It's to close the books on somebody. It's to, put, it's to slap a label onto somebody. It's to give up on them. See, James is telling us that as Christians, we should never, ever give up on somebody. That is is not our place. It is not our place to label anyone or, or declare that someone is beyond hope. Why? Because back in chapter 2, verse 13, James said, mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So, today's sermon, judge not, why not? I'm going to give you five reasons why we shouldn't judge, and then I'm going to give you the how not to judge, how we overcome a judgmental spirit. Okay, here we go. Reason number one why you shouldn't judge others, why you shouldn't label, condemn, cast off another, criticize, impugn another. Number one, because we are a family. Three times he uses the word brother, which means brother, brother or sister. It's a generic word that can mean brother or sister. In other words, we are all the children of God. We are all the family of God. We are bound together by brotherly love. Now, here's the sad thing. Sadly, some of you in your families, in your biological families, you sit around judging each other. And that ought not to be. The family family should be the schoolhouse, the college for learning how to love and put up with people. You learn it there, and then you bring it out into the church and into the world. The family is God's training ground. The problem is a lot of us are failing in school. We can't can't even figure it out in our own kitchens and living rooms. Brothers and sisters love each other. 
parents and children love each other. They go to bat for each other. They stick up for each other. No matter how many times, no matter how many times the same mistake is made, you have a place here. You are welcomed home. Run into my arms. Kill the fatted calf. You are my child. You are my dad. You are my mom. I would, I would, do, I would do anything for you unconditional love. And that's what we are, church. We are a spiritual family. When Matthew and Luke quote Jesus as saying, love your enemies, do good to those who who oppose you, uh, pray for them, Jesus says these words next. He says, then you will be sons of the Most High. How do you know you're a son of the Most High? How do you know that God's your dad when you can love your enemy? When you can pray for your enemy instead of judging them. And notice what James does. Brother, brothers, brothers, but he lands on neighbor. Very last word. But who are you to judge your neighbor? It should be brother. (laughs) Why does he say neighbor? Well, obviously, he's taking us back to the great commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. He's taking us back to Leviticus, but more importantly, he's taking us back to Jesus. Because when Jesus was asked, hey, Jesus, what's the most important commandment? He said, love God, love your neighbor. That's where James is taking us. And he's saying, look, look, what if we saw everybody as family? How much easier should it be to then love them as a neighbor? Well, how does a neighbor love? Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan didn't ride by the wounded man and judge him. <laughs> you idiot. Serves you right. Everybody knows you don't travel these roads alone. Oh, you're a different race. You're a different ethnicity. So clearly you're a bad person and you're getting what you deserve. No. What does a true neighbor do? A neighbor doesn't look down from on high. A good neighbor comes down from on high and bandages the wounds and binds him up and puts him on his own horse and pays for his hotel and pays his medical bills. That's the love of family. Number two, why not? Why shouldn't we judge? Because judging others judges the law of God. Wow. The law of God, the royal law, chapter 2, verse 8, love your neighbor. He's all, James has already said that. The royal law is love your neighbor as yourself. Notice what James is saying here. This is, this is deep. This is, this is ouch. He's not even saying, listen to what he said. He didn't say you're breaking the law. He said you're judging the law. See, every, every single, when I, when I did the little ha-ha, let's raise our hands thing at the beginning, Everybody raises their hand, right? Because here's what we know. We all know we break this law. I don't think any of us truly has a problem raising. If I say, have you judged anyone this week, this month, every hand would go up pretty easily, right? And we would know, yep, I break that law. But if I said to you, how many of you judge this law? Well, first of all, you probably don't even know what that means. 
And second of all, no, I would never judge the law. But that's what James is saying we are doing subconsciously when we judge others. Here's what he's saying. We're saying the most important law of God, that that one that says love each other, I don't need that. I'm above that. That one's unnecessary for my life. It's better for me to just be critical. I'm the one person on the planet who doesn't need to love other people. I am immune to that law. I get to be the judge of everyone else. Wow. When you put it that way, (laughs) is that what I'm doing? When I sent that email last week and hit send, you don't know your job, I got that back. Send! Was I, was I subconsciously saying, I, I don't need the law of God. I don't, I'm, I'm the one person in the, in the company that doesn't have to love. When I tore my adult child to shreds because they're not living the way I think they should live. They need a dose of truth. Were you subconsciously saying, was I subconsciously saying, I'm the one person who doesn't have to obey, love your child. When I yell at the people that are cutting me off in traffic, and I give them the Christian finger, and I, and I, whatever it is you do, when you, are you subconsciously saying, I'm the one person that doesn't have to obey Love your neighbor. I don't need it. How you, how you dress for church, that's a more important issue than me loving you. How you raise your kids and educate your kids, that's a more important issue than me loving you. How, who you voted for, that's more important than me loving you. Me, see, you see what I'm saying? Me getting all up in your business, that's more important than me loving you. That's what we're saying. You show me a church that's judgmental, I'll show you a church without love, without humility, without grace, probably without prayer, and probably without discipleship and evangelism. Number three, why not? Why should we not judge? Because judging others condemns you. It condemns you. When you judge others, you're really just showing your own sinful heart, your own self-righteousness. Here's how Paul puts it in the book of Romans. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same thing. Now, here's the thing. If you know Romans a little bit, in the book of Romans, he first talks to the pagan Gentiles and how they sin, and then he talks to the religious Jews and how they sin, and it's very different. And yet here he says, when you judge each other, you're committing the same sin. What sin, uh, what sin could he possibly be talking about? 
the sin of self-righteousness. The sin of self-righteousness. This is humanity's common sin. Self-righteousness leads to being judgmental, and judgmental leads to speaking against. So let's move backwards. If I hear people speaking against, posting against, emailing against, texting against, if I hear critical spirit, if I hear gossipy, if I hear argumentative, if I hear grumbling, if I hear casting off, if I hear maligning, if I hear that, then I can immediately know there's self-righteousness in that person's heart. They think they're above the law. They think they're above God. And again, we all do this. Why were the pagans pagans? Because they didn't need God. We're above God. We worship our own gods. We do our own thing. Why were the Jew, religious Jews also guilty? Because they said, we don't need God. We can judge everybody else. We can look down on everybody else because they're not like us. He puts it, Jesus puts it this way in Luke 6. He puts it this way in Luke 6. How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that's in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck, take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. See, here's the problem with judgmentalism, with self-righteousness. It, it blinds us to all of our own problems. It blinds us to all of our own sins. It blinds us to our own heart that is very far away from God. It makes us think that the log in our eye, the log of self-righteousness, is no big deal, but your speck is everything. We've got to get that speck out of her eye. Did you see what she was wearing? Did you hear what he said? That speck must be removed. And there's a tree in your own face. You can't see the other, you can't see your own problem because you're so obsessed with everybody else's problems, issues. And, and specs are specs, no doubt. A speck is a speck. We're not pro-spec, okay? We're not pro-spec. But just understand, I, I, don't, I don't want you to, like, let's just be honest, I don't want you coming to me to, to um, confront me if I don't think you've ever been honest about your heart and about your sins, can we all just agree to that? We hate those people. Don't tell me what to do with my kids when you got your own problems and you've never admitted that you've got problems. You've never been humble about your own problems, right? Nobody wants a perfect person coming to them to help them spiritually unless his name is Jesus. Look, here's the truth, guys. Here's the truth. Likely, the person you're judging for being so sinful is probably way closer to the heart of Jesus than you are. That addict, that alcoholic, that porn addict, 
they probably are more keenly aware of their need of grace than you'll ever be, judger. And yet you judge them and you cast them off and you say, well, I'm glad I am not like them. Listen, are you a sinner? I don't murder. I don't commit adultery, Brady. I haven't done any, I haven't done the big ones. I haven't done the doozies. Have you, have you criticized someone this week? Have you, have you ignored somebody because they just weren't worth your time? Have you said, have you said to your friend group, we really got to find a way to get rid of so-and-so? Don't invite her. Don't invite him. They're such a drag. Have you done that? If you have, then you've sinned. You have failed to love as Christ loves. Judge yourself. Judge yourself. Who are you to judge your neighbor? That's how he lands. Who are you to judge your neighbor? Answer, no one. <laughs> no one. Who are you to judge your husband? Who are you to judge your wife? Who are you to judge your boss? Who are you to judge that coworker? Who are you to judge that friend? Who are you to judge your kid's teacher? Who are you to write them off, condemn them, quit on them, say that they're hopeless, say that they'll never, say that they always, say that there's no hope? How dare we say that about one another? Number four. Why not judge? Because you have no authority to judge. Verse 12. There is one lawgiver and judge. It's not you. It's not me. God did not drop a placard from heaven onto your desk that says, judge. A sign on your door that says, judge. There is one judge. James might be thinking of Jesus himself. In John 5, 22, Jesus said, the Father judges no one. He has given all judgment to the Son. Jesus is the judge. Jesus is the lawgiver, the law of Christ. A new commandment I give unto you, John 13, that you what? Love one another. Jesus is the lawgiver, therefore Jesus is the judge. Only the judge can save and destroy, verse 12. Listen, Christian, you cannot save and you cannot destroy. You do not have that power. You think you do, but you don't. You might think you do, but you don't. There's only one person in the universe who saves and destroys. His name is Jesus. This is why Jesus says this, John says this about Jesus. John 3, 18, he who believes in Jesus is not judged, but he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. 
Listen, everybody, listen to me. Everybody within the sound of my voice, listen to me. You will be judged. I will be judged. Every single human being will stand before the judgment seat of God, Romans chapter 2, Paul says. Every human being will stand before the judgment seat of God. And you will be judged based on what you did with the judge, Jesus. Everyone who believes in him is not judged. In other words, you'll pass the judgment, right? Whoever does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So let me ask you this question this morning. Maybe you're sitting here this morning. Are you judgmental? Have you ever judged anyone? In other words, are you a sinner? Are you a sinner who has violated the lawgiver's law, the law of love? Are you a sinner who has violated the lawgiver's law of love, Jesus' law of love? And I would bet my right arm that your answer is yes. Everybody's answer is yes. Okay, so if you are a sinner who deserves to be judged, and Scripture says there's those who will pass judgment by believing in Jesus, and there's those who won't pass judgment because they've forsaken Jesus, I mean, isn't that a no-brainer? Every Christian in here is saying, yeah, that's a no-brainer. But, the, but it's the heart, isn't it? The, the, brain, the brain can agree all we want, but it's the heart. Because as soon as you say, yes, I want to trust in Jesus Christ alone, you know what you got to give up? That self-righteousness. Because those two things don't exist. Christ's righteousness and self-righteousness don't coexist. You gotta fors- you're, every human being is forsaking one or the other. You're either forsaking your own self-righteousness, your own right to rule, your own autonomy, your own wisdom, your own, I'm the judge, I'm the king, I'm the queen. Hear ye the word of Brady. You're, you're either forsaking that or you're forsaking the, the freely given righteousness of Jesus Christ. My prayer for you this morning is that you will forsake your own self-righteousness because honestly, it's just turning you into a jerk. It's just destroying you. It's making you unbearable because you're not perfect. You don't know everything. You're not that good. In fact, you're kind of lousy. And so am I. And so we got to forsake that, and we have to run to Jesus and say, all, we sang it, all I need is Christ. Amen? Number five, why not, why not judge? This is a long one. <laughs> because judging fails to trust the transforming work of God in others by the Spirit and through the conscience. We're going to leave James for this one. James doesn't talk about the conscience. He doesn't even really talk about the Spirit. But the rest of the Bible does. Look, this takes real faith. You know, 
at the title of our series, Real Faith, Real Wisdom. This takes real faith. <laughs> when I can look at other people, other Christians especially, and just trust that God is doing the work in them. Not me. Not me. That God is, that God is by His indwelling Spirit and fusing with that person's conscience that He is transforming every Christian. Every Christian is growing. Every Christian is changing. Every Christian is transforming. If you don't like how fast it's going, you got to take that up with Jesus. You don't get to hit the gas. You got to understand that this is the work of God. Look, can we love each other? Can we come alongside each other? Should we disciple each other? Amen and amen. You know I believe that. But as the discipleship pastor, the big temptation in my life is, we need to move quicker. We need to get more people. Do blah, blah, blah. Brady, you're not the Holy Spirit, bro. Slow down. <laughs> Slow down. Let Jesus do his work. We have to respect the work of Christ through the diverse consciences in this church. We want to be a church of diversity. We want young and old. We want black and white and brown. And we want male and female. And we want conservative and liberal. We want a diverse. Here's another point of diversion that we need in the church. Diverse consciences. We need to embrace the reality that every Christian has a different conscience and God is at work in everybody's conscience and we should not seek to bind it. Romans 14.4, who are you to pass judgment on the servant, servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Stop judging. Basically, what he's saying is, no, listen, Brady, none of these Christians in this room are your servant. Every Christian in this room is Christ's servant. So why are you judging another man's servant? That would have been really bad form back in Paul's day, going into somebody else's house. Hey, you're not treating your slaves right. You're not doing the right thing with your servants. What do you, get out of here. You don't talk. To, that's what we do with Jesus when we judge each other. Hey, Jesus, uh, you're not, you're, you kind of dropped the ball on Mark. You really need to step it up. Who are you to judge another man's servant? We'll all be upheld. We need to believe that we are all equal servants of Jesus. We need to, under, we need to understand individually that it is Jesus' approval that sustains us, not the approval of others. In 1 Corinthians 4, Paul says, I don't really care how you judge me, and I don't really care how I judge myself. I only care how God judges me. What a, what a bold statement. Therefore, verse 13, Romans 14, 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. This is love over judgment. 
when we allow the person to live within their own conscience and remove all stumbling blocks to their conscience. That's love. Instead of telling everybody what to do in all the gray areas of life, we let them live and make their own decision within that gray area of life, and we uphold it, and we help them live by it. Somebody comes to me and they say, Brady, I believe the Lord is calling me to wear a suit and tie to church every Sunday. You know what I say to that? Amen. Amen. If God is asking you, and if your conscience says that you should dress your best for church, then you better dress your best for church. Literally, it would be a sin if you didn't, the Bible says, because that's where your conscience is. And then the next person walks up to me and says, you know what? The Lord, the Lord has said I can wear jeans and a t-shirt and my flip-flops to church. And you know what I say to that? Amen. Praise God. If God has allowed you in your conscience to dress that way, then you should dress that way. As pastors, we don't want to put any, we don't want to bind a conscience. We don't want to put a stumbling block in front of a conscience. Pastors, we should, we should have table, when it's election time, we should have tables out here and register people to vote. No. You know why? Not because we're anti-America or anti-voting, but because voting is not a biblical mandate. And therefore, every Christian has the right by their conscience to decide not only who they will vote for, but if they will even vote. And to set up a table would be to bind a conscience. It would be to say, this is what makes you a good Christian when the Bible doesn't say that's what makes you a Christian. Are you tracking with me? Some of you are, some of you are judging me right now. I feel it. I feel it. I can see it. It's coming. I'm dodging. Okay. We can talk more about that later. <laughs> How do we do this? Okay, this is the most important point. If you've been sleeping, wake up. If you missed the first five, whatever. Here it is. Here it is. How? How do we, how, how do we overcome this common sin of self-righteousness and judgmentalism and being so critical all the time? By trusting in Jesus' judgment in your place on the cross. You know what? Jesus, he died for the murderers. And he died for the rapists. And he died for the warmongers. But you know who else he died for? The critical. The gossiper person who just likes to belittle everybody. He died for your one-star reviews. He died for your nasty emails. He died for that text you sent without thinking. He died for that too, didn't he? And you know what the cross tells us? If it took the same God on the same cross to die for the Osama bin Ladens and you, what does that tell you about your sin? It tells you it's just as much, 
is just as much an insult to God as anything the worst person you can think of has ever done. James says, there's only one lawgiver and judge, and this lawgiver is able to save and to destroy. How? How is Jesus able to save, and how is he able to destroy? How is he able to save and destroy all in one glorious moment? And the Christian's answer is the cross. On the cross, Jesus was destroyed for us, wasn't he? He took your critical spirit. He took, he, he took your complaints and your grumbling. He, he took your side eye. He took all the things that you do and say to belittle others and put down others. He took all the ways that you have rejected a person just because of the way they look or where they come from or their lack of education or how they vote. He's taken all of that onto himself and he died in our place. He was destroyed for that sin. Do you believe this? And then he rose three days later and saved us by his resurrection cleansing that sin, defeating that sin, taking away your self-righteousness. He destroyed any hope or thought you have of being self-righteous, of making it on your own, figuring it out of your own volition. He destroyed that. He saved you not only from the condemnation of your speaking against, but the bigger condemnation of your self-righteousness. And so what happens now? What happens in the heart of a person who no longer has to be self-righteous? What, what, what freedom is that? What kind of mercy wells up inside that heart? When I realize that the cross says, I am more wicked than I ever imagined, but more loved than I ever dared hope. When I realize that in this church, I'm the worst person in the church. And at the same time, I am a child of God. I have everything I need. All I need is Christ. When that truth begins to soak in, what can happen to that heart? What can happen to this addiction we have to our own self-righteousness. Can it be broken? Might it be broken? Is it broken? It is. It is. Praise God. It is. When you don't need your self-righteousness and all you need is Christ and you have him, you don't need to judge anymore. You don't need to speak against people anymore. May that soak into the very fiber of our beings. Let's pray. Jesus, continue to cleanse us of all the ways we speak against each other. But Jesus, would you do it by reminding us that you have already cleansed our hearts. You've already broken the power of sin in our lives. For those of us 
who have claimed you, for those of us who have grabbed hold of your righteousness, for those of us that have said, not my self-righteousness, but Jesus, your self-righteousness, your righteousness, for those of us that have, that have by grace through faith received it, would you do that work? Would you humble us? And God, for those in the room that have not done that, would today be the day Would today be the day that they walk away from their self-righteousness once and for all? Today be the day that they publicly say, I cannot save myself. I cannot redeem myself of my, my sins, all of the laws of God that I have broken. Jesus, I need you. May today be the day. May today be the day. Jesus, we love you. We ask all of this. In your name, amen.